Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Good evening. And Tori. Hello, Internet. No Seth this week, because he's a jerk and had to work, and that rhymed. Yeah. So, Tori, Craig, did you both bring a good thing this week? Because I sure did. I always have a good thing. Yes, I have a good thing also. Okay. I would actually like to lead this time with mine, because it's a very, very good thing. And my good thing this week is the Thor Ragnarok director's commentary. Not just the movie. The movie was great. Definitely go see Thor Ragnarok if you haven't yet. It's amazing. But the director's commentary is just, it's 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 chef kiss good. Like, it's ah about halfway through, um, Taika Waititi's two-year-old child comes in, and they start, you know, watching the movie together and continue talking about various director's commentary e things and then after about 10 minutes of that the child gets bored and asks that the movie please be changed to Moana. <laughs> that is awesome. It's I didn't realize that I needed that in a director's commentary until now but oh <laughs> it's I I needed that. I need every director's commentary to have to have the director's small child come in and and just, like, get bored and insist that something else be put on, please. I, I love everything about that. <laughs> All right, Tori, let's let's go to you next. Okay, um, my good thing is I got a puppy. It's my first dog. Yay! Um, his I love name puppies. Is Phantom, and he's a mutt. Um, he's a, a husky mutt. His paws are huge. He will be also. He's uh, about... 25 pounds now oh, no. and he just turned 10 weeks old <laughs> yeah that's gonna be Goodness, huge that's a he's gonna be huge. big dog well but i i prefer big dogs um i'm always saying if you can't ride it into battle just get a cat so i mean fair enough but yeah i wanted a big dog that's a he's very big, big dog yes but yeah we we love him it's like I said, it's my first dog. It's it's not Matt's first dog. He's had dogs before, but you know, we were first we were in college and then grad school and then we were living in small apartments and it was just never a good time to get a dog. And so What did you say you named it? Phantom. Phantom. Okay. And here you're diving in with a puppy. Your first dog and it's a puppy. And it's a well, yeah, because puppy. I want to train him to do all the things and you've uh -huh. got to start doing that when they're puppies. He's <laughs> really smart. The yeah, he can already sit, and he already goes outside, and we're working on fetch. He'll he'll fetch whatever we throw. He just won't drop it after he brings it back to us. That will right. come in time. Well, the yeah, trick but to we, that we one went is bribing. to our first puppy training class last week, and he was the youngest uh, because he was, like, barely old enough to be in the puppy class, but he was also the biggest, and... <laughs> And the best behaved. I, awesome. I feel like I got a good dog. <laughs> you already sound like a proud parent. I know. I know. I'm, I'm very proud. I miss having puppy time. I used to be a dog trainer at Petco for several years. And yeah, I, I miss having puppy time. Well, give well, me all neat. your tips later. And, in, in, you know, just PM me all your tips. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. The, one of the things we did was every week... There was an hour a week called pl uh, blah, 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 Puppy Playtime, 
wherein I got to oversee any number of puppies in an enclosed space playing with each other, making sure they didn't kill each other or start humping or whatever. <laughs> and it was by far the best hour of my week every single week. It was so good. <laughs> but I don't get that anymore. And we can't have a dog because Devin is very, very, very allergic. Like, no. like can't breathe after a couple of hours in a house that has dogs allergic. I did, I'm exactly the same. So we should chat. I, I can give tips on how to avoid that. Oh, just don't go into houses that have dogs in them. No, that's, no, that's the, the there's best. other... I've had to take steps to, to deal with my allergies because we have cats, and I'm allergic to cats as well. So uh, I know I have a, a good uh, allergy pill. This this I don't want this to be my good thing, but whatever. I have a good <laughs> allergy pill that I take. Um, it only costs about $20 per year because it's, it's the generic brand, but it works. Uh, we uh, do generic Zyrtec. Zyrtec. Yeah, yeah do, it's generic. generic yeah, exactly. Um, so that works. Um, there are dogs. Now, I don't know her particular allergy. Um, I know I'm okay on the hyperallergenic dogs. So things like Shih Tzus, um, Scottish Terriers, Poodles, um, Bichon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bichon Frisee. Yeah, those, like, I'm actually not allergic around those particular dogs. So you could, that might work for her. Again, it's up to her and her allergy doctor because you can take tests for that sort of thing. Um, she's actually still allergic to the hypoallergenic ones, too. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes the allergy is to the fur, and other times it's to the dander. Right, and if it's to the dander, that's what the hyperallergenic is supposed to do. Yeah. I don't, like I said, it's up to the allergy tests. Um, so, yeah. All right, so what's your actual good thing this week, Craig? I do video games, so it's always a video game. <laughs> All right, so allergy um, pills then. Yeah, good no, thing. No, 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 no. Uh, I just started playing a game recently, as in yesterday. Um, it's an older, um, not that old, came out like three years ago, but it's a really neat co-op game called Clandestine, where I don't, I don't know if you've got, if either of you have heard of it before, Um but one player plays as a hacker who essentially has a number of different screens that they can manipulate. Um, one person is, it's a stealth-based game. So one person is like, you know, the, the stealthy, sneaky, go-around-corners, third-person view, um, you know, Solid Snake, Metal Gear, whatever. Uh, and it's the other person as a hacker who gets to see the map of the location, but not necessarily, they don't get to see anything. They get to see the computer systems. So they can see the map of the area. They can ha look into surveillance cameras to see what the stealth player is up to, uh, deal with security issues, find out, you know, locked doors and things like that. And it's hectic for them. I don't know what it looks like because I'm the stealthy person. Um, but it sounds a lot of fun. It sounds like they're going crazy. My friend was going crazy on his end. And I'm having a lot of fun doing the stealthy stuff. So it's pretty fun. So I think I can recommend that. I only just started playing it yesterday, but it was it was fun. Well, that sounds super neat. I had not heard of it. Honestly, any kind of... So it's an asymmetric co-op game. Like, co-op games in general are fun, but just to have this whole asymmetric gameplay, and we can eventually swap where he could be the stealth person and I can play as the hacker just to try it out later on. Um, just the whole asymmetric gameplay is really fascinating when it comes to co-op. The main asymmetric gameplay sort of touchstone that I know of is uh, stop talking and everybody explodes. 
<laughs> well, I hope not. Did I, did I just keep talking and nobody keep explodes? Keep talking and is, no one explodes. Okay, might be a future good things for me because that is quite fun. Yes, that it, okay. that it that's something similar. Although this is much longer because it's the whole stealthy gameplay. If you if you know like Splinter Cell, like I said, Metal Metal Gear Solid, maybe in the Thief games, like things like that. But your friend is a hacker who's doing hacker things. That does sound interesting. All right, Tori. Uh, since we've got no Seth this week, you're filling in for him. So okay. lead us off. Part of Seth will be played by me. <laughs> we we have to get one of those little um, pieces of paper, right? So we know. Yes, like, like a little name tag. Uh, so starting with chapter nineteen. Well, hang on, hang on. Give yourself a moment to get into character. You know, take a deep breath, be centered. You are Seth. You're a little bit drunk, you're balding, and you're overweight. <laughs> Go. Wow. I have no idea what's going on. What, what's her motivation? Uh, your motivation is that your friend Mike asked you to be in a podcast. You had very little interest in the actual subject matter, but you did want to be in a podcast. Except not badly enough to ever arrange so that you could actually be on the podcast with your work schedule. Right. Okay. I'm feeling it. God, I hope he comes back and listens to this later. Damn it, Mike. Okay. That was perfect. So, chapter 19. We get a description of Elantris in its former glory, a flashback. In it, a young boy with an injured leg is healed by an Elantrian. There's pain. Rayanin wakes up in pain. He was the boy, and it was a dream. He walks with Salen and an honor guard. They are attacked by some of Shaor's men but they defend themselves. Rayadin resolves to put a stop to Shaor's gang, which is larger now that some of Tayane's men have joined them. Rayadin and crew have started gathering the Hoeid together into what they're calling the Hall of the Fallen. Rayadin visits them, then goes back to studying Aeondor. Galadon tells, talks, about, talks about it with him, saying it's a Duladin term for something like a universal will of life. It gets Rayadin thinking. Those are my notes for chapter 19. I have to say that was probably the best summary we've received of a chapter yet. Well, I do that. I can actually, I actually know what happens. (laughs) Okay. And and now we are being joined by my cat, Shade, who wants to sit on the keyboard because it's in my lap. Hello, cat. We 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 appreciate your valuable contribution to the podcast. Oh, yes. She contributes to the podcast. Can she meow for us? Can, can you get her she to meow might, for us? She's got a little tiny meow that you probably won't. Oh, man. Speaking of cats, my one cat purrs incredibly loud. And she's not deaf. Like, you figure... So, so I, I've had a deaf cat before, and, like, they don't know how loud they are. Right. She just purrs really loud because that's what she does. Yeah, our fat cat is... Like, he purrs loudly, he snores loudly. He doesn't meow, basically, ever. Um, but... <laughs> But like he is—he's the loudest thing. All right, so he's not going to meow for it. Dang it! Chapter Chapter twenty. Serene and the nobles discuss King Iadin's falling fortunes. Kyine is absent as the nobles discuss Dreok Crushthroat, the pirate, and how it's unlikely that he's the one sinking Iadin's ships. It must be Fjordel. Serene and crew make a plan to get Iadin a trade deal with Teod so he can be in the black at the next tax accounting. Also, Serene says she wants to do her widow's trial by taking food into Elantris. 
She confronts the king to make those things happen, bullying her way past the guards into Iodin's study. She bullies Iodin too, though he deserves it. He is not pleased. Back in her rooms, they haven't been cleaned. Serene learns the palace has trouble keeping maids employed. That night, she hears noises in the walls. She suspects there are secret passages there. Well, she's wrong and dumb. It's clearly just rats. The palace right. has a terrible I mean, rat just, problem. Just the palace settling. That's it. <laughs> Boy, is it settling. Um, man, I really <laughs> wish we got to hear Seth's. Because this is where we first hear about the Widow's Trial. Like, what Serene is actually doing. So it would have been nice to, to hear his thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, and it's also the second time they've pointed out the noises at night in the castle. And... Well, one of I those really we wondered. actually we actually got firsthand because that was when Rayodin and Kereta, uh went through the the secret passageway. Right. So yeah, we we actually knew about that one already. Um, yeah, I don't really want to go into too much about this because spoilers yet. Yes, so, too soon for spoilers. So let's move on to chapter twenty one then. Chapter twenty one. Graythen tries to appoint a new head artif, but the man declines. Graythen suspects Diloph had something to do with it. He makes an excuse to send Diloph to Fjordan, and Diloph acts like he'll go submissively. Turns out, Diloph plans to take most of Graythen's followers with him. Ouch. Graythen calls him off, outmaneuvered. He goes to the city, where he encounters some beggars, even though begging is outlawed in K.E., the old beggar tells him there's a lot of them, all in hiding after fleeing the farms. Raythan goes to the top of Elantris and runs into Omine. That would be the uh, priest there in Ke. They talk religion. Omine is very relaxed about the whole thing, stating that the truth will always prevail, whether it's Shudareth or Shukorath. He calmly asks Raythan what happened to his faith, as it seems clear to Omine that Raythan lost it somewhere along the way. Graythen is deeply disturbed by this question. Hmm. And that's all I've got. All Man, right. these are some good chapters. Yes. Yes. I, I, <laughs> these chapters are probably the ones that I have enjoyed the most in the uh, in the reread thus far. I just really like this section. Uh, you know, starting with the 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 dream sequence that is actually a flashback to you know how Elantris looked before. And you know, gives you gives you some some views on what Aeondor looks like when it's done properly and when it works. Like it's it's pretty cool. I just I just really enjoyed this section. Um, so one thing that we talked about last week that we agreed to have prepared for this week is a cast list because we are physically halfway through with the book. I also yes. wanted Seth to give a who lives who dies thing, but he flaked on that. Like, completely. Were I, we all supposed to come up with a cast list? Because I didn't do that. I totally did that. <laughs> I absolutely uh, did that. I'm not very good at it anyway, so... Alright, well, let's start with Kate, with um, the Seth's cast list. Right. Which he posted for us uh, with only a lot of prodding from me. Uh, <laughs> so, Rayodin's Aeon... Uh, he's he decided would be either Billy D. Williams or Morgan Freeman. I'm assuming he's actually talking about Serene's Aeon because Rayodin's Aeon doesn't really do anything. Right. Yeah. Yes. 
So my dream casting for Aishi would be Richard Armitage because I love the sound of his voice and he's one of my favorite audiobook narrators as well. That's not bad. He was really good in Castlevania. He was. He also does a lot, like a lot, a lot of classic literature on Audible. Um, I actually didn't have anyone cast for Aishi. And... That's okay. We still love you. And Craig didn't cast anyone as anything, so... <laughs> hey, I'm just okay. here to criticize. Don't don't mind me. Uh, next up, Seth has Rayodin as Tom Hardy, but not Rip Tom Hardy, normal Tom Hardy, which I'm assuming he actually means as, like, young Tom Hardy from uh, that one Star Trek movie where he played fake Captain Picard. Uh, Nemesis? Was that Nemesis? Uh, oh, well, yeah, we don't talk about that, but yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the Tom Hardy that I'm assuming he's referring to. As much as I love Tom Hardy, I'm not seeing him as Raiden. No. Well, he, he puts someone else as Raiden as well. Right. He also lists Sebastian Stan. I I could see that a little better. Mm, I don't know. It feels off to me. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't really care for that one. Um, what I have for Raiden is Daniel Radcliffe. I thought he could do really? a pretty solid job. Uh, but then I also thought about it, and I thought maybe Michael B. Jordan would be a pretty good fit for it. That, that I think, is better. I, I can't see Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, I, he's... I need someone charismatic, like, super charismatic. Right, right. But Have also, you... like, I picture Raiden as a little younger, well, like, mid-twenties, you know, and... Yeah. Right, but... Um, like... Casting casting for actual age doesn't work because that's just oh I know I know that's just not how actors exist right especially with actresses because all of the ones that are you know in in the twenty four to twenty five range they all look like they're thirty five and like you know they're always casting the twenty year olds as the high school students so sure you don't have to look at their actual ages but yeah my pick for Raiden. Because I was thinking of him as someone young and sweet and charismatic and just very likable. Like, the whole kingdom likes him. Uh, So I would go with Colin Morgan. I don't know who uh, that is. He played Merlin in the BBC series. I do know who that uh, is. Yeah, he's a little older now than he was then, but... um, Aren't we all? Yeah, right. So that was my okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so next up, Seth has Gollum as Tom Hiddleston. Uh, he meant Diloff and <laughs> Tom Hiddleston. Uh, mm, I don't. I don't feel like Tom Hiddleston is a good fit for that. Mm. I don't think it's that far off. I mean, like yeah, no, Tom Hiddleston um, is charismatic, and that's that's, charismatic that's good. But and and in. His role as Loki, he 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 pulled off that subtle craziness that we need. Yeah, that is true. Um, I so, do like Tom Hiddleston. So, well, I mean, don't we all like? Yeah, he, he's Tom Hiddleston, right? Uh, How can you not like Hiddleston? For my Diloff pick, I had Martin Freeman. Ooh, that's good. Really? I I see him as being like a little a little like shorter and slighter built. Like he's I I see Diloff as being kind of a little dude. Okay. Like, huge personality, but not actually all that 
big or menacing of of a person. And I feel like Martin Freeman really, really hits that middle ground there. Yeah, but I don't know. I I, I want to see more cr- like crazy, not not craziness, but the the uh, intensity that Diloff can have. Yet the the slightly off personality, just like different, like something is wrong here. And I don't know if. He can so, do. I mean, I'm sure he could do that. He, he's a gifted actor, as all of them are. But my pick for Diloff, uh, for those very reasons, would be Eddie Redmayne. All right. Did because did you see him in Jupiter Ascending? I he, haven't actually he did ever crazy seen crazy really well in there. Redmayne is in, and um, yeah, Maybe. I felt like he seems a little too young, though. But Diloff looks young. young. Like when when we first meet him in the book. Uh, Nope. Craven thinks easy, he's a young man, and then spoilers. We're not in spoiler like... territory yet. Easy, easy. Okay. Scale it back a little. <laughs> we're we're not in the spoiler section yet. I'm sorry. I'm we'll, sorry. We'll, we'll talk about it later. Diloff is yeah. exactly the point as is he, he appears. Looks young. He he's, he looks young. Yep. Okay. Everything that Diloff claims to be hundred percent accurate, no question. So maybe right. he definitely could. I could see he has the craziness factor. I think. All right. Now uh, I did have a backup pick. For Diloff, and that would be Nicholas Holt, just because I feel like he's a really talented young actor and does well in everything that he does, and I I think he could do that role. Yeah, I could I could see like some some Mad Max style Nick Holt. Yeah. See, it doesn't help that. that I have to look up all these guys because I although I know them once I see them, I don't recognize them instantly. All right. Uh, so Seth. Well, I'm next, bad at this. Seth next picked. Our next pick uh, was for Hraithen, and he wanted to cast Vinnie Jones. I like that. I like that a lot. That's a really good pick. Really? Yeah. Okay. What? Have you not seen Vinnie Jones in things? I have. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he definitely has some of the luck where... where see, he... My my view of Hraithen is that he is martially inclined anyway. Like, he wears armor, not doesn't necessarily use it, but I, I pictured a bigger dude. Like, he's... And if you... if you The cover I have, like, he looks... He has broad shoulders, probably from his armor, but, like, he looks like a beefy dude. Yeah, you're describing Vinnie Jones. Yeah, I, I know that, but... Hmm. Anyway. I don't know. Um, so, Maybe. my... Yeah, my I, I wasn't looking... Sorry. I wasn't really looking for beefy. I was looking for that strong presence. All right. Well, right. I think I think my pick will actually provide the everybody happy here, and that okay. is Mads Mikkelsen. That was my pick too. Wait, who? Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, he was in uh, Rogue One as as the scientist dad. I can't have. Uh, what is his last name? Mikkelsen. Mikkel. Mickle, M I K E L S O N, I think. He was in Hannibal. Yeah, he was Hannibal in the TV show Hannibal. He was in Casino Royale as as the Bond villain. That's why. Mads, M A D S. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I know who he is. Yeah, that was absolutely my pick, too. Yeah, okay. I could see that. Like, he's he's this huge, physically imposing dude. Uh, Yeah. He's got a very calm logical presence very very he intense. looks like a hurry thing. he does 
And he's got a weird accent that isn't going to fit right, in well the with, the, with like everyone else, which would which fits with Raithen. Um So next up from Seth's list, he picked Sebastian Stan as Raiden as his second pick because he forgot that he already picked. Good job, Seth. Um, next up we have Serene, and he wanted to go with Karen Gillen, but blonde, I guess. <laughs> Thanks, Seth. For that, um, uh, for my for my serene, I went with Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Uh, oh, went, oh, okay, maybe, maybe. I went with uh, Shailene Woodley. And who is that? Uh, she was in Divergent and The Fault in Our Stars. I have seen neither of those, so you wouldn't have. What, yeah. What's what's her name again? I I know. I think I know who it is because I've seen those things. Shailene Woodley. And just for everyone out there who may be listening and who doesn't immediately know, Aubrey Plaza uh, was in Parks and Rec. She was. She's in. She's currently in Legion. Um, as man, I don't follow that show at all. Like I tried to, but I just I could not pay enough attention. She's in a bunch of stuff. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, no, she's been in a ton of things. She's primarily a comedic act- actress. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. She's a secondary. She is in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, right. she's the one that gets the sensor box over her mouth. Yeah, she has all the jobs. Yes. I mean, out of the people that were listed, I guess Audrey's... Uh, like, Aubrey? Aubrey. I don't know. I can't say names. Aubrey I can't Plaza, say real yeah. names. Um, she's probably closest, but I'm not really feeling it. I don't know. Um, and then Seth's final pick was for Galadon. And he went with Idris Elba, which is also who I had. Yeah. That, that was me too. Um, <laughs> okay, so my reasoning here is Galadon is, I think, our only like straight-up explicitly black character in the novel. Uh, Idris Elba is a very well-known black actor who could play literally anything. He could be the shark in Jaws. I would watch it. Um, <laughs> I, I would watch Idris Elba in anything. Dude is amazing. He's pretty amazing. My second pick for that was actually Michael B. Jordan because I was very impressed with him in Black Panther. He was, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's all of Seth's picks. I still have a couple more. I also have a couple more. Uh, so, and I wish I did this. For, Seems fun for Uncle Kyine. I had Gerard Butler. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> like. I feel like in his more recent stuff, he's moved away from, you know, 300 and whatever else he was in around 300. I could never see him as anything except King Leonidas for, like, a decade. But, like, he's softened the muscles a little bit, put on a little bit of weight. I can see him as being, like, this former, you know, super aggressive dude who's now just really into cooking. Right. He's, he's, uh, he voices... Hiccup's dad in How to Train Your Dragon. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. I could totally see that. Um, I. But yes, I love Gerard Butler, and he needs to be in more things. And yeah, I would so, also, I would also like him to be my uncle who feeds me all the time. Yes. Right. Right. So that's totally why I put him in that role. Uh, my final pick was for King Aedon. And I had him as Jimmy Simpson. Oh, yeah. I mean, he'd need a little bit of, of age makeup, maybe a fake beard. But, 
Like, I like Jimmy Simpson in basically everything I've seen him in. He's been in blip, 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 Westworld most recently. Uh, there's like a Biggie and Tupac, The Deaths of True Crime series that's on right now that he's in. I think he was in Psych. He was on, he was on Psych as slightly recurring character Mary Lightly. Yep. Um, his father before him was named Mary, his father before him was named Mary, and his father before him was named Keith. He's the kind of actor who sort of, like, changes based on his role. Like, he's Um, very flexible. Yeah, he was also in uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as one of the McPoyles. Um, I just, every time I see this guy, I, I love him. He's great in everything. I want him to be in everything. And so why not put him in here? Logic. Well, so my pick for Iodin, uh, going a little different direction, uh, I wanted someone that could kind of pull off crazy intensity, so I picked Michael Shannon. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. <laughs> um, well, and, and also, I based my pick for Iodin on the fact that I was picking Colin Morgan to play Rayodin. It's like... What kind of person would hate this sweet, charismatic, young Colin Morgan? Yeah, no, Michael Michael Shannon, Michael Shannon scares me. Yeah, he would hate <laughs> that kind of person. Um, okay, so Michael Shannon, for those of you who, who aren't following along, uh, he played Zod in Man of Steel, the, the Zack Snyder Superman. Uh, he was in Groundhog's Day. Not terrifying in that one, but... I mean, dude is dude is intimidating. Wait, yeah, he was in Groundhog Day. I don't remember him in Groundhog Day. He was in Groundhog Day. He was he and his fiance were getting married, and in That's the big him? Band, yeah, no, uh, he's so young. Get out. Bill Murray okay. gives them tickets to WrestleMania as a wedding. Present. Holy crap! It is. It's Fred. Yeah. Well, <laughs> He's More been... recently, he's also the terrifying bad guy in The Shape of Water. All right. You didn't need to add terrifying because it's Michael Shannon. But right. Yeah. <laughs> he's not terrifying in Groundhog's Day. Dude, that's funny. He looks so different No, now. like that, that one time he's playing against type. Yeah. Well, and I had a few others uh, that I picked. Um, All right. <clears throat> so for Roile... Um, which is the oldest of the old rich noble guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking Ian McShane. Okay. Um, Ian McShane is... in a in a rare non swearing role. Right. <laughs> so he he was in Deadwood. He's in American Gods. Um, I like Ian McShane. Uh, he voiced Tai Lung in Kung Fu Panda One. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> he right. Did. He did. Um. Now for Ahane, which is the the fat one, the fat one. Um, okay, bear with me, but I like the idea of Jack Black with some aging makeup <laughs> on. Because uh, have you seen the preview for the upcoming The House with the Clock in Its Walls? No, no. Uh, it's it's Jack Black. He's got this huge pot belly going on, and I, I'm I don't know. I'm really feeling him for Ahane right now. Um. And then Shudin would be John Cho, who is uh, Sulu in the new Star Trek movies. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, because I, I keep picturing him as kind of an Asian appearance. I, I know other people are picturing him as more sort of 
Indian? I actually, I, I, get, I, I get more Indian too, from I, them. Yeah, I, I don't know a lot of Indian actors. I know it's, it's a terrible shortcoming. Like I, I couldn't speak to any personally, but there is, you know, an entire industry I know, of, like... of Indian films. <laughs> there's, there's all these Bollywood movies I've never seen, and I don't want to just pick an actor randomly based on how they look. Yeah, you, you know, I, I would need to see a movie and see how that person performs before I could tell them, before I could tell you that that's my pick for that role. Anyway, the only other one that I had picked out uh, was Lukal. Uh, I like Taron Edgerton from the Kingsman movies. I, I think he could do that. Ooh, good call. So that was my that was my fantasy cast. Okay, yeah, I stopped at Aidon. I didn't even think about trying to cast the 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 nobles. Um, I have someone in my head for Eondel, but I didn't look it up ahead of time, so now I can't remember his name. Uh, he was the, the, the bad military guy from Avatar, oh. uh, who was right. also in the Jason Momoa Conan movie. Yes, I can picture who you're talking about, but I don't remember his name either. Stephen Lang. There we go. Yeah. Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang was also one of my top contenders to potentially play Cable before that got officially cast for Deadpool 2. All right. He would have been very good. I agree. But yeah, I I see him as Eondel, the uh, the military noble. Yeah, I was kind of now that you mention it, kind of a a Clint Eastwood, but I I think Eastwood is too too old for that now. Well, way too old and yeah. other problems. Well, that also. kind of style, you mean? Although speaking of Clint Eastwood, we bring it back around to Idris Elba. He Idris Elba just played Clint Eastwood basically in uh, the Dark Tower. He did. And you know, when I was looking at IMDb trying to find actors for my fantasy casting, um, Clint Eastwood's son um, was actually, I was kind of thinking of him for Raiden just because he's pretty. <laughs> but like I said, I, you know, I, I haven't really seen him in anything, so I couldn't tell you if he's any good. So he, he did not make my list. All right. Fair enough. Um, okay. So... I think that pretty much covers our non-spoiler portion. Oh, okay. We're not going to ask Tori any questions. What do you think is going to happen, oh, Tori? Right. Yeah. Yes, I need to come up with some totally uh, incorrect assumptions. All right, hang on. Let me. Well, no, not necessarily incorrect. Right. Notes. Um. So, um, Andor is like this universal will of life thing. So uh, that's. That made me think of the Force, so I'm thinking we're going to have some kind of crossover with Star Wars universe. Like, that's going to happen, and we're going to learn about midichlorians later. Like, that's, I feel like that's going to come up. Um, yeah, it turns out that the way you become an Elantrian is that another Elantrian injects you with their blood in the middle of the night. And then, boop, you're magic now. Yeah. It's like, it's like reverse vampirism. In the castle, like, that's, um, yeah, so that, the secret passages that Serene talks about. Um, so, and then in Raven's chapter, he runs into those beggars. I think those beggars are going to be important later, the ones that are hiding in the ruins outside the city. Like, um, maybe he's going to amass himself an army of beggars. Um, and... You know That's who, how he's going you know to who's take famous over. famous for hiding right. in ruins, though, right? Aliens. 
xenomorphs. The beggars yes. are all the beggars are right. all actually aliens from the alien franchise. Uh some predators right. are gonna so come down and just explode that's... everyone and that's the end of the book. There there it is. Right. This is the yeah, biggest it's... crossover event in history. Because we've got Star Wars, Aliens, and then I think Predator comes into it too because that there's already a, an existing crossover there. Mm-hmm. And, Terminator and if ties into that as well. Avatar, then, yeah. So, Aliens. Uh, and with Star Wars, we get the entirety of, of Disney's umbrella. So that's that's all of Disney, that's all of Marvel. Through Kingdom Hearts, we get all of Squaresoft. Um, I what think are you this... doing, man? This is going too too deep. I think right, this book right. literally and... contains all of fiction. So yes. there we go. We've done it. Sephiroth is going to call down is a mad genius. To destroy Elantris, and yes, that's that's my theory. Rocks fall, everyone dies. Okay. Um, so yeah, thus ends the spoiler-free portion, and thus begins the spoiler-filled portion. Uh, so yeah, what what actually did happen that is spoilery that we can talk about now? Hold on a sec. You fear, just in case. You read, yeah, you just listened to Elantris. You're good to go. But keep in mind... We're also going to be talking about Sanderson's other works, and I know you just started Mistborn, so you might hear some spoiler things about Mistborn. Oh, speaking of Mistborn, uh, I just started on the audiobook of The Final Empire, and I caught something that in my multiple, multiple rereads of of the series that I had never caught before, which is, um, I'm suddenly blanking on his name, main Mistborn guy... Kelsier? Kelsier, thank you. Why do I blank on his name? Kelsier is blonde. Explicitly described as blonde. I never caught it before. Yeah, I think I knew that, but I think the first time I read it, I pictured him just not, like, just brunette, whatever, brown. Yeah. Uh, And I just, that's my mental picture of him, but I think I knew that, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I knew that because I spend a lot of time on Pinterest, and there's fan art everywhere. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's just, it's a weird thing that, like, is explicitly stated that I just never caught before. You know what? That reminds me of a, a thing I read on, on the Cosmere Reddit about sort of like a, a, a fictional meetup of all the different main characters and how they interact with each other. Because that would be hilarious. I mean, I need I need Hoyd and Cezad to really have a good sit down. Craig, you and I have talked about this before. Like, yeah, but I'm just talking about fun things like Kelsier meeting Kaladin and seeing what, well, Kaladin will just brood about something. But, you know, it, it would be fun. All my friends are dead. Wah. That's my Kaladin impression. I need, like, Vin and Kaladin to talk about how nobles are just the worst. And I know. <laughs> yes. That would be that would be pretty good. Although I feel like. And I'm about to get crucified here. Vin and Moash would have a lot in common. They would. No, you're totally right. They would. But everyone loves Vin and everyone hates Moash. Well, for good reason right now. He's he's absolutely 100% going to get redeemed. Like, no question. I don't know I how. So. I don't know how. I couldn't do it. If I were writing it, I couldn't do it. I'm but... worried he's going to be picked as ODM's champion. That's where uh, I thought they were going with it. No, I, I think he's still... I think he's going to eventually be one of the one of the Knights Radiant. I can see him being essentially Vin, except Vin has like 
her friends and and her teammates to sort of get her through it, whereas Moesh didn't, or he left it anyway. All right. Well, since we're since we're I guess jumping straight into Stormlight, uh, I would like to make some things like put some things out here so that they're officially on the record. Okay. Um, and just for the record, I do have some Elantra stuff I want to talk about based okay. on the chapters. We'll so we'll later. jump back to it. I just want to get this out real quick and maybe discuss it for a few minutes. Um, I think that Kaladin isn't going to swear the fourth oath. I think he's going to stop his progress uh, as as a Night Radiant with with the third oath, and then we're gonna sort of. He's still going to be an important character, but I think for like further uh, Windrunner progress, we're gonna shift focus to the other. Um, the other bridge four folks, primarily Teft. Really, I think so. Uh, not not Teft. Um, we shoot, do, what's his name? We could do Rock. We could do the Lopin, but Teft seems to have like, yeah the, the Lopin. He's totally like dead set. He's getting fifth ideal no matter what. Oh yeah, no the the Lopin is the Lopin is solid. Well, so Kaladin, it's not that he wants to stop. It's that he finds it hard to swear what his fourth ideal is. He's not sure he can. Yeah. His fourth ideal. Keep in mind, the ideals are slightly different based on each person. Like it's the it's the same general thing for each for each yeah. ideal, but it's it's tailored to the specific person and the specific situation. So um, I disagree. I think enough. he will eventually get through it as part of his character growth because we do need to see more character growth. He's one of our main characters. I think Teft will help him. Because Teth is getting getting through his own issues and he was able to swear his ideals, and I think together they'll maybe he'll be able to to help Calden get over it and be able to swear the fourth ideal. I think it's an important step, and we're going to see a lot of character growth. Okay, um, one quick thing that has been on my mind and has been bothering me: um, Shallon's brother. What was his name? The the one, the yeah, oldest yeah. one. She has a bunch of them. Okay, the oldest brother who who's Kaladin killed, killed by Calden. Yes. Okay. What was his name? Uh. Was that Halloran? Healeran. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's implied pretty heavily that he was a skybreaker. And since he was wearing plate, he would have been like a full, at least fourth, um, fourth oath skybreaker, like a level four. Wait, what? I thought, I thought he had a, a, um... He had a blade that no one's Star ever blade. seen. Yeah, he had a blade that no one has ever seen before in a world where they are very um, strongly like documented. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So this is a brand new blade. It's it's implied that he was a skybreaker. So you're you're doing a reread. So you're going to definitely pick up on things that I certainly don't remember or right. miss. What I'm wondering is now that we've seen how incredibly resilient um, any sort of uh, Surge Binder is under any circumstances. How did Kaladin kill him? <sighs> is he even killed? Do we know this? Well, no, he he dropped his blade and plate, so like he is dead. There, like Amaram couldn't have taken the 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 blade and the plate if he wasn't dead. Well, he is. Um, dead. So I'm I'm reading the copper mine. Well, there we go. Okay. Technical difficulties. There we go. I'm back. Welcome back. You sound better. Okay. Uh, so, yes. How? Wow, you're much louder now. How did you do that? I don't know. Um, but yeah. How? How did he how kill him? How was Kaladin able to... It's not like they're unkillable. They're just resilient. 
Shallon took a sword to the chest and walked away. Uh, uh, hold on. Let me read this copper mine entry on it, and I'll link it to my chat in case you guys want to read it too. Except maybe not you fear, because hopefully you'll forget all these names once you get to this book. I mean, we get we get the seed from Kaladin's perspective. And sure. from Kaladin's perspective, it's terrifying because it's a shard holder, a shard wielder. Um, but it's a normal dude who's wearing plate and wielding a blade. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I have thought that this is the one Kaladin killed and got his shard blade, which eventually Amaran essentially right. steals. Yes, that's what I'm So it's about. a known shard blade, I thought. No, it wasn't. It was a brand new blade that no one had ever seen before. Except it would... Okay, when a shard bearer is killed, though, it doesn't kill the the sprint... Does it? Doesn't it? Like I thought I thought the sprint the sharp blades are the way they are. So so I will point out that there's a mention that it did not take Halloran ten heartbeats to summon his sharp blade, which is definitely a sign. Keep in mind, same thing happened to Adeline recently as well, where it didn't seem like ten heartbeats had passed and already he was able to summon his sharp blade. It but that that's a different discussion. The point is that your theory has some credence to it. Now, what if that wasn't Helleran that we thought was killed? How do we know that was him? That's true, we don't. There was there was no one there that would have known random dude in Shardplate with a blade as Helleran Devar. So there there is that, but... We My whole point is that... Juan recognizes the blade later when she sees it. She does. Okay. I, I'm that that's the part that I'm not convinced about. The thing I was mentioning when you had technical difficulties is that I'm not convinced that when a Night Radiant is killed that a shard blade would be dropped. And yeah, we haven't actually seen any evidence one way or another for that. The only time we've seen living shard blades dropping is during the recreants, during yep. one of uh Dalinar's visions. And and that is when they give up their oaths. So that is an important thing because it actually kills the Spren because they abandon their oaths. Right. So that's one thing that happened. I don't think their death necessarily does that, which is why it, there could it, he could be using a different shard blade. But then again, like you said, Shallon recognized it. I don't know. There's something something there. Maybe it's just that he was on the path and that didn't necessarily swear the fourth ideal so he's still they can acquire you know shard plate and shard blade but maybe he was still working with the skybreakers and he was going to swear some oaths mm -hmm. i suppose that's possible although if he had sworn up to the second oath and then could could uh take in stormlight then wearing plate is basically impossible for him because it would just drain the gems and get either freeze or fall off yeah or wait, no, other way around. The hmm, how did that work? <laughs> That's right. Well, when... Yeah, Kaladin grabbed the helmet, and then it sucked all the stormlight out of him. Huh. I guess that still could have worked. I don't know. I'm just there are questions about about that scene in my head, and I can't I can't reconcile it. I can't work out. I think those are important questions. How it works logically. So I'm guessing there's more to see there eventually. Yeah, I think I think you raise some very important questions and points that, and then we're gonna have to keep an eye on it. I think it's related to what uh, 
uh, Marie's, whatever. Sure. The, the Ghost Bloods. Which, I don't want to get into the secret societies on Roshar yet, because that's going to be a lot that's of time. That's a discussion. Yeah. You, you can't swing a cat on Roshar without hitting someone who's a member of a secret society, and you better <laughs> hope it's not the cat-swinging secret society, or else they'll sue. I think someone compiled a list, and there's like seven or eight explicitly mentioned, there if we also so count many. 17th Chard. There, yeah, just, there are so many. Anyway, uh, you said you had some Elantris stuff relating to these chapters. Yeah, so let's, 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 let's talk Elantris. That. Let's talk Elantris. Um, so, yeah, I, I felt that these three chapters were very important for, you know, a foreshadowing perspective. And, and also a world-building type thing. It, it's like we're getting this deep information, but it's not like the info dump that we got in, like, the first three to six chapters. It's subtle in the... Sort of the way that it's presenting this information that would be very important later. Like, so we see, you know, the view of what Elantris was like, and it's information to the reader, so you know what this is sort of like, how this magic system is supposed to work. You get a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, it's it's the whole setting up the widow's trial for Serene because that is actually some important information. That that is how Serene is going to a- interact with Raiden. Finally, uh, I think it's the first official time they interact in the book itself that since I'm not counting the letters and stuff beforehand, I'm talking about in the book. Right. On screen. Right. She hadn't on met screen. him at all. So, no, yeah, but they I had long excited. teenage conversations through their yeah. through their aeons. And most importantly, we're getting a much better look at Diloph and what he's up to, because Raythan had to deal with the whole political atmosphere, Serene a little bit. And now he also has to deal with Diloph. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have the big question about his faith, which which is, I think, a very important characterization of Harithan. Like this, this is the moment. I would say this is the moment that kicks off what will what will eventually happen at the end of the book. Like this is the beginning. Right. Do we the have catalog. anything on that, or should I move on to my thing? I was just pointing up things we could talk about. Okay. I was going for general stuff, um, not necessarily about Cosmere, but just about Lantris. Pull, pull it back together. All right. Uh, Tori, do you have anything for, for this yeah. portion? Yeah. So when he encounters the beggars, uh, Rafen encounters the beggars. Let me find it in my book. And um, the old man talks about... Flip to the right page. Do we know who Hoyt is yet? In This, uh, in this, this is not Hoyt. Okay. Yeah, this is not Hoyd. I, um, I thought it might have been, so I looked it up. I made sure. If it just was make Hoyd... sure when he pops up, because the books are different. I know it eventually says his name. Yes. I'm not sure if I have the version that says his name. Well, when when we do have Hoyd first showing up, that's when I really want to get into Hoyd. Okay. I've got it. I've got it all planned out in my head. Up in, up in my dome piece. So this... I, I don't know, this might be a plot hole or an instance of, I don't want to say bad writing, but it's it made me go, hang on, and I had to think about it. When the old beggar says, I wasn't always a beggar, good sir. Used to work in Elantris. I was the carpenter, one of the best. I didn't make a very good farmer, though. The king was wrong there, good sir. He sent me to the fields, but I was too old to work in them, so I ran away. Came here. Okay, why would you make a carpenter a farmer? 
I, I because he needed that, more farmers. Yeah, I, well, I understand that the Elantrians are gone and no longer making the food for everybody, and you need more farmers. But don't you also need carpenters? Like, well, that, no, the, the, I mean, you touched. You still need. You touched upon the important point. Elantrians aren't making the food. You need a lot of food, especially with the level of technology that seems to be present in this particular uh, world. You're you're going to need a lot of farming. And some people are just going to get cut. Like, we don't, they might need carpenters, but they're going to have to take, you know, a percentage of people and say, you are now farmers. And right. they're interacting with one who had that cut. Tori, have you seen Interstellar? Oh, yeah. I haven't. Don't spoil it, please. It's on my to-watch list eventually. Never mind, I guess. I can <laughs> mute myself. All right, do that. All right, just uh, ping me in the... Okay. Okay. I think he's gone. <laughs> Is he gone? Are you gone? Jet, if you're here, you have to tell us. <laughs> it's it's state law. It's entrapment if you don't tell us. Okay, he's gone. Um so on Interstellar, there is there's the scene where um Matthew McConaughey is talking to his kids teacher and principal and you know, there there's a whole discussion of we didn't run out of TV screens, we ran out of food. And I think a similar situation is sort of happening here because the source of all of their food, poof, gone. So, yes, yeah, okay. yes no? Uh, I don't know. Just he's an old man who's not capable of farming, but he says he was one of the best carpenters. And like, we only have his word for that, but you're going to cut the best carpenter. Oh, yeah. No, Aedon did very, very stupid things like... Yeah. Well, you always think you're the best at your job anyway. Oh, you're back. Okay. Yeah. I was going I to... I have to weigh, on, weigh in on this. Fair enough. Clearly. Anyway, that was it. That was... Um, basically, this is just sort of an example of Iadon being a terrible, terrible king. Yep. Which There's a we... lot of examples of that. Yeah, we, we get plenty of examples of that. This is just one more on the pile. All right, so I wanted to talk about a little bit of Aeon Door and how it works. And how this specific magic system um, lends itself more to scholarship than basically any of the others that we've seen in the Cosmere thus far. Okay. Okay. Um, like, basically, it's... The magic system is advanced mathematics and linguist linguistics coupled yes. with um, a steady hand and some artistry. Like it's essentially... A programming magic system. Right. And in order to... Like, you can do some basic stuff. Like, you can you can shoot fire from a symbol in the air pretty easily. But if you want to do something complicated, like heal a child's leg, you need to know exactly what things need to be added and edited and shortened and lengthened and what have you in your, in your Aeon in order to achieve right. that and not turn someone into... Or turn someone's wife into a zombie forever who's in pain for her for the rest of her entire life and then she throws herself off a building but she's still alive and then she gets set on fire yeah as as just a hypothetical you know not not naming a specific example here just just sort of a what if um but yeah like it's this this more than anything else lends itself to scholarship which then means that in the cosmere the most educated people of all the worlds that we've seen thus far are likely Elantrians. Uh, and 
so when the Riode happens and the bulk of the Elantrians get get zombified, we lost basically our primary resource into realmatic theory, and so we have to start from scratch with Chris and Naz. Except we have the ire. Right, but they're jerks. They're jerks, but they're also Elantrians. And they have this information. They don't want to give it up, but they clearly know quite a bit. Right, but how things work. Pronounced Irie. I'm sorry. My point being that the the one time we see them, the one the one story that we see them in, uh, which is Mistborn's secret history, they are huge colossal jerks who are trying to steal some god juice. Yep. And I almost wonder if part of that is sort of an uh, like elitism within the Elantrians because anyone can be an Elantrian, like nobles or farmers or beggars can can wake up one morning and discover that now they're an Elantrian. So even even among the special chosen people who become Elantrians, not all of them are going to be capable of that level of scholarship, of that level of, you know, theorizing about their magic system that they're, that they are capable of doing because they're an Elantrian now, but they're, they may not be capable of learning all of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They, they seem to be a, a, essentially they were a clique within the Elantrians that with probably based on their ability, assuming they are highly skilled. Um, yeah, they're, they're essentially the nobles of Elantri- Elantrius, or at least they were. Oh, um, also, I'm fairly certain that Aeon Dor is like wildly inefficient as, as far as like power usage goes compared to things like uh, biochroma, or um, even, even like uh, that's probably from the way it is. Just because there is that like massive reservoir of power available to them all the time. Yeah, but I think it's more because there's no shard now. Well, at least it was you know splintered, right. and that might be why. Well, no, the that power that, usage is ridiculous. That is the door. Is is the like two gods worth of power on the wrong. Um, on the wrong plane, basically. Like, yeah. it's supposed to be in the... Uh, the spiritual? The spiritual realm, but it's actually in the cognitive realm, and it's just, like, explosions all the time. Yep. Which, I feel like a... Uh, um, God, the Roshar magic. I was just talking about this. Surge binding. A surge binder would probably be totally okay on the cognitive realm of cell. Like they just you think cool. that you think they could survive. I I think they would thrive. I think they'd like be totally juiced up on power all the time. Maybe. In yeah. fact, I think if travel between were like reasonable, um you could take gems from Roshar, go to the cognitive realm on Roshar, go to the from there to the cognitive realm on cell and charge them up and be good. Yeah, I think we have a long way to go for that. I still imagine travel between the different worlds is very difficult, or at least time-consuming at this point. Given what we've seen in Oathbringer, um, it's yeah. not easy. Oh, yeah. Which, that whole section is... <sighs> Dude, that was mind-blowing. It was It was very important for the overall Cosmere. 
it had tons of information from a perspective of me who just wants to know how the underpinnings of all of this work. In the book itself, it was terrible. Like, it was such a slow slog in an already gigantic book. Like No, I, I mean, yeah, okay, it, it was slow because not much happened, but I thought it was interesting. Like, it, it definitely needed in- to be there. We will have parts in later books where, like, having that knowledge will be required. And if it didn't get covered here, it would have to have gotten covered there, and... You know, it's going to be there regardless. But man, that was not a great section to read through. Yeah, I think it was more from a story perspective. It was slow, but I think yeah. from an information perspective, it's dense. Um, I also think that this whole, like, all of this that we're talking about here is part of what's of what makes the transportation surge on Roshar kind of a cool, unique thing, because... Uh, I mean, with the trouble that they had getting getting back to the physical realm from the cognitive realm, Yasna could have just did it. Like, if she had some, if she had enough, you know, stormlight, she could just go, just go and do it and be done. But for them, like, they had to go to a special place and hopefully not get killed. And yeah, yeah. So something you brought up earlier, though, I'm talking about the mathematical system related to the Elantrian magic. Um, I wonder if they're going to do some like reverse engineering of exactly how this transformation takes place, um, how it occurs. Like, I imagine there's a complicated formula aside from there's a transformation into Elantrians, but in the way it selects people, I imagine there's some kind of algorithm for the way it just this person is now an Elantrian and it's just configured that way in addition to just transforming. I don't think it is. I think that part is is just completely random. Like you you fit these certain criteria and maybe maybe you get to now be a super magic guy. Well, maybe it could just be based on the um what's it called, the investor in the cognitive realm. Like it just happens to manifest in a certain location which also happens to be a person there and they are now an Elantrian. Yeah, like and they had to make this transformation thing to deal with that, which is why they configured Elantris the way they did, so that way it could be handled better, so they can be a conduit for this investor and not essentially die from it. I mean, basically, uh, the the way I, I sort of picture all this in my head is Elantrians were happening anyway. Like, there wasn't the dramatic transformation. There was a little bit of, of that, but just, like... You wake up one day, your hair is silver, you glow a little bit, and you can draw cool cool things in the air. And sometimes magic happens from it. From there, the Aeon alphabet, uh, as it were, develops, and then the language from that. And then from there, we go probably thousands and thousands of years of, you know, there's a few people who can do this cool thing, uh, eventually they start studying it and things grow and snowball from there until they decide or until they they find out that like yeah we can manipulate this we can build a city to to you know transfer some of some more of this power into us directly because we're special and then at the very height of all of that uh there's an earthquake and everything goes bork 
Yeah, because it's 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 like you mentioned before. There's a difference between trying to heal someone and completely messing it up. And because of the earthquake, it changed this transformation thing into a complete mess up. If it just didn't exist, they probably wouldn't have been okay. Like it it would have been whatever the minor reveal of investiture was at the beginning, which is probably just a way for them to, you know, be able to use the Andor. Um, right. So yeah, Tori, you got anything on this? You've been quiet for a bit. <laughs> nope you're you're talking about stuff that I have not thought about. <laughs> okay. Um... um. So should we mention what you fear brought up? And th- this is just a, a clarification: the way the magic system is on, um, what's what's the planet's name? Uh, Cell. Cell. That's right. And it, it's essentially the, there's different magic systems actually on the planet. We see four of them, I believe. In total, between all the books, uh, on sale. Yes, we have Andor, but we also have the uh, the Soul Stamping, which is in a side book, which I'm not sure if you read. You fear it's called Emperor Soul. It's, you can read that anytime. It's a short story. It's extremely uh, good. good. Like it's 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 a decent spot to start the uh, the Cosmere out just by itself. Like it's real good. So there's um, Soul Stamping, which is different, um, and we have the magic system good. used by the Fiordels. The Dakor Monastery. Yeah. Uh, Which is like they change their bones into shapes. And uh, the final thing we have is Che Shan, which is basically magical Tai Chi. Yep. All of these are symbol-based. Like you you draw or have a symbol in some way, but it's also based on location. So you'll notice when they are trying to use Andor, they're sort of restricted to that area that you mentioned around the Lantris. Um, that's just, that's just the way it works. That's based on the fact that the shards were splintered and we, the setup on cell, they're all interrelated in some way, but it's based on location. Um, which I'm a little bit irritated by the fact that most of the worlds we've seen are weird. Like as, as far as like Cosmere standard goes, most of what we've seen have had some sort of weirdness to them. Um, on cell, we have... What's wrong with that? Huh? You said that bothers you. It does bother me a little bit. Like, we've had we've had literally one book where it's what is considered a, a standard Cosmere setup, which is one shard, one world, one magic system, no shenanigans happening, nobody got exploded in the wrong realm, you know... Okay. I guess I guess two books because I keep forgetting that White Sands exists because I don't want it to because I didn't like the first one. Well, why don't you just read the story? You can ask him for it, and it's essentially what they're. I will eventually. I've kind of got a lot going on. Okay. Uh, but and technically, we also Mistborn Era too. You fear? Stop listening. But now it's sort of like that. Well, sort of, except that that is you know two shards. Well, Held by one person. No, it is now considered one shard. Okay. If but... he if he dies, he drops one shard. Right, but there's also some sort of alien thing attacking, sort of, maybe. Hard to say exactly. He thinks there is. There might be. We don't ever get anything well, straight up said. Okay, well, that's a story point. The, the whole point is we have more than just one book we we do have other views and actually um 
the the short story, and I guess yeah, he can, you got him. Um, the short story, the uh, the the fort, the forest of silence, or whatever. And okay. actually, no, no, and, and the other one with the with the giant island, like both of those. I think there's only one shards there. Shard there, might, there. Okay, there isn't a shard for shadows for silence in the forest of hell. And there, oh, may not, going on there. there may not be a shard for Six of the Dusk. That might just be a, a splinter. It um, might be a shard. It might be a splinter. We don't know. I was pretty sure in the uh, in Chris's notes at the beginning that it said there wasn't a shard there. Well, I think. She can be wrong. There is always the the possibility that Chris can be wrong about things. And that I find actually to be a fairly interesting thing that like Brandon can deliberately feed us misinformation from a sincere and incorrect character. (laughs) I thought it was mentioned that one of them had shards. Now I do know there's a theory that the Island itself is at least an avatar, maybe. Yeah. A splinter. So, but, but we don't, we don't know. We don't have def- anything straight up definitive. I think the whole point, though, from a cosmic perspective, is it's interesting when these shards interact. Right. That's that's when the interesting story comes up. Right, and and it is that's that's where like interesting plot stuff happens. But learning about like the the straight up, you know, the mechanics, the underpinnings of all of these magic systems. If we start looking at weird stuff first then we get we get weird ideas about how things can work. I think the best way to analyze how using Investor works is actually um like Mistborn. Like I think because it's so clean in its usage and the, just the way that preservation and ruin interact with each other, um I think that gives us the best way to study exactly how Investor works. It's it's it avoids a lot of the weirdness from, it from does, shards except, interacting. Except that it also has two books full of no one in universe actually understanding how steel inquisitors work and are still alive and aren't dead. Yes, I know. What, what I'm saying is, I'm talking. I'm talking the whole entirety of Mistborn, not just Mistborn One. I'm talking about everything and and what we've learned up to this point, because that is more important than, you know, what we know in the first book and, alone. And, and that's true. And again, I'm not I'm not arguing against this from, like, plot or being interesting or, or you know, readable or good stories or anything like that. I, I'm saying as, as, like, putting myself in Chris's shoes of trying to figure out how the freaking magic works, looking at outliers is not super-duper helpful as a starting point. So what you're saying is she should probably head to Nalthus... Because that's the the best way. Or, you know, introduce us to the potentially half dozen other worlds that we haven't seen yet that still have shards that yep. aren't that didn't break their yeah. their pact from the from the very beginning of let's not put two shards on the same world. For all we know, she was there first. And we just haven't because we haven't read any stories on those worlds, we haven't seen her thoughts about it yet. Maybe. And that, that that's more, this is what Standerson's doing. He's going for the interesting stuff. That's true. So. But, I mean, even as we've seen with, with Warbreaker, you can have interesting plot happening without it necessarily yeah. being, you know, Odium is going to break free and kill everyone, or, you know, we have two I shards who are, who are trying to kill each other. 
I suspect after Mistborn 2 is finished, which should be early next year, hopefully. Cross, cross fingers. Um, and then I imagine Stormlight 4 is going to come out sometime after that. We're then going to get something new, unless he decides to go back in sequel land and do like Atlantis 2 or Warbreaker 2, which oh. I think Warbreaker 2 is on the short list of things he wants to write about. My I'm hoping we get a completely new thing. My understanding for future book releases was that Stormlight 4 wasn't planned for like three more years. Yeah, he's he's that's what I'm saying. Like, I know he has other things to work on. He's working on his young adult stuff. Uh, Which, from a Cosmere perspective, the next thing we're getting will eventually be Miss the the last book in Mistborn Era Two. I am looking um, forward to a girl in her spaceship. Whatever, whatever. Yes, that ends up and that's called. that's not Cosmere, but it also sounds really fun. Yeah, it sounds really fun. Wait, what do you mean? You fear that you want Elantris to finish? Elantris itself, like it's not. It wasn't written as a trilogy. It was written as a standalone story. Yeah. Like they're they're we're, I'm, I imagine we're going to see the characters again at least Raiden if anything. Um, but yeah, well, it's not written as a trilogy. A book. I mean, yeah. yeah imagine with his, the way book. he writes now. Imagine Elantris too, though. Like I would, I would like. Of course, I would like a second book. I I would like a second Elantris. I would like a you know fourth Mistborn era two. I would like a second. Um, God, what's the name? I'm so bad. Warbreaker? Nightblood? Also Warbreaker. Uh, I would like a second Rhythmatist. Yes, I would love a second Rhythmatist. Uh, apparently, Rhythmatist, the Rhythmatist sequel is like his single most requested thing. He just, he doesn't have it yet. Like, he doesn't know where he's going with it yet. I haven't read the first one. Oh my I mean, god. I mean, cliffhanger. Um, oh, good. Well, I read it in not a, a single day's card so trip. much as it's Wide open for a sequel. Like, yeah. why? Yeah. It's super why? I guess I'll wait. No, don't. No, no, yes, I will. But If it's... it's not Cosmere related, I can put it on hold. But I it's support good. waiting. It's I'm fine. I can wait till he's done. Like, I'm I want... sad that I read it and there's not more. I, so want, I, I want the next Alcatraz book. I want Stormlight 4 through 10. I want... The Stormlight novella that's going to be 3.5 that's kind of inevitable at this point. Yeah, stop listening to Mike, Craig. I say <laughs> wait until Sanderson either finishes or dies, which was my plan for the entire Cosmere series until somebody asked me to be part of this podcast. No, no, I, I, I do understand. Like, sometimes it's good to just go into it, even if it's not fully uh, not finished yet, just to be able to experience it. And Honestly, going through this Cosmere stuff, like, as it's released, like, this has been quite fun. Like, the speculation, the discussions that we have uh, that, that are on the various, you know, boards and forums. Like, it, this is interesting stuff and to be able to experience. This is part of the experience. And if I were to wait, you know, 40, 50 years and then eventually get around to it, like, okay, yeah, I can just absorb everything. But, you know, part of the fun is just seeing it as it goes now with that said i'm putting a limit to what i want to expose to because i don't want to start other series of his because i know i'm gonna love it like that's a given but i don't want even more stuff i have to wait for and also try to remember when it finally comes out okay so you're making I'm, I'm basically points. i put a limit cosmere is okay anything else i'll wait till it completes like i eventually read the um what's it called the the young adult steelheart 
the Reckoners. Yeah, the Reckoners. And I'm like, you know, that was fun. Uh, but I, I waited till it was complete. I could read all three at once. Just right. binge it. You're making excellent points. I would like to counter the bulk of them in a very simple way. Brandon Sanderson is not George R. R. Martin. Brandon Sanderson yeah, is no. not Patrick Rothfuss. Brandon Sanderson consistently puts out books. He consistently puts out more things in in series that are ongoing. He consistently puts out new stuff. He That's... isn't suffering from writer's block. He will eventually produce the thing that you want him to put out eventually. Yes. That's why I'm going to wait till Okay, can read it. Yeah. So, and and that's one of my points as well. We are lucky that we're talking about an author here who's very good about releasing stuff. Um, and he like, and he doesn't. I don't even think he sees himself that way. I've I've seen interviews, and they always bring up like how prolific he is, and he doesn't really see it that way. Um, well, I mean, it's just like when you look at like George R. R. Martin or Patrick Rothfuss, like that's just. That's the way they are, and Brandon Sanderson is not like that. And we are sort of spoiled in that way that we have so much released every year that well, we can talk about. Here's and the enjoy. thing: Sanderson also grew up on some stupidly prolific authors like Piers Anthony, like Terry Brooks, like you know guys who will knock out you know three or four books a year. He doesn't do that. He does like one big project and then two or three smaller things a year. He's consistent yeah. with that, and that's that's the pace that I like. Like because because of what because what he puts out is so good, I'm totally okay with with that being, you know, the the level of things released. If he could do it that good and also be way faster, I mean that yeah that would be ideal. But I don't think he can. And I don't know if you guys have ever read any Piers Anthony, but he hits pretty good. Maybe like one in ten things he's put out for me. Most of it is kind of okay. I guess I'll read it if I'm in the bathroom and it's this or a shampoo bottle. Quality is what the word you're looking for. Did I not say quality? And I thought I said... Spending time to put more quality into it. Yeah, fair enough. But like George Martin, I'm pretty sure, doesn't care about Game of Thrones anymore. Like He got tired of writing it at about book three. <laughs> That's true. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not expecting any more Game of Thrones books from from George Martin. I, I have to say, originally, like season one of Game of Thrones, like, hey, maybe this will light a fire under his butt and he'll eventually finish it. No, that's not the case. It totally it's lit do enough its own of thing. a fire for the for the fifth book to be put out and to not be that great. I, I actually have not read it because I want to do a reread, and it's just book one. Like I loved reading through it the first time like i was into it and it is dense and i tried to reread it and i got bored at the beginning because it's all that setup like you have to introduce character type thing um as far as like patrick rothfuss goes i i don't think he's tired of his series i think he's still very into it i also think that he's way more interested in using his name and his fame and his money to try to make the world a better place and like, that's sort of where all of his focus is going right now. Like, I'm sure he's still, you know, working on editing and rewriting and, and finishing book three. But, like, his main focus does seem to be, you know, all of these philanthropy efforts. And I can't fault him for that. See, that's another one I have not yet read. 
because I mean, I'm waiting for him to finish or die. I mean, they're very, very good. They're totally worth I reading, even, even with it. just I two books. That. So here, here's the problem. I have read In the Name of the Wind. I don't remember it. I remember thinking it's okay, but I wasn't, like, blown away or anything. I was just sort of like, eh, okay, whatever. It took- I don't remember it at all. So if I were to pick up book two, which I don't even know the name of it. Uh, the right? Wise Man's Fear. Yeah, yeah, that. I would have to reread book one, and I'm not sure if I want to. All right. Um, that's, that's the other thing. Brandon Sanderson, I give reread. Like, just get, go ahead. Like, even with Elantris, like, I've been reading. Despite what you guys think, I do read a little bit of it. I just, it's not in my current reread list. But I could totally just go for it. All right, so The Name of the Wind took me a second read to really get. Uh, because it doesn't fall into like the the standard three act structure. It's, it's I, think written... I don't like the main character. I think that was my problem with it. Well, it, it's written episodically, and that screwed with me because I didn't pick up on that right away. Okay, but like once once I got the structure, um, it worked. It worked so well for me. It's such a good book. the The second book is even better. It's so amazingly good. I need the third book to happen, but I get it. I get that Patrick Rothfuss has other stuff that he's doing and that he is working on this, and it'll be done when it's done, and he can write at his own speed. I have other things I can read. But man, it'd be great if I did have that third book. So, Sanderson. So, Sanderson. Yeah, like his... his Which is our podcast. His writing speed is consistent. Yeah. I appreciate Um, that. I think we actually missed out on one major release last year or this year uh just because like the the Apocalypse Guard wasn't up to his up to what he thought he it should be. Yeah. So so that kind of got shelved at like 90% done. And so we got to wait for something else to happen. And you know what that's going to happen sometimes. And since I wasn't just super duper big on the Reckoners in the first place, eh, I'm not that concerned. I was intrigued. I, I heard what he was planning for it, and that was definitely more intriguing to me. It sounded it sounded like it'd be an interesting story. I mean, it did, and I mean, I trust Brandon to write anything and make it interesting. Like he's he's more than earned that from me. Um, but yeah, it was it wasn't like top of my list. Excited about this? I'd rather have something else, Cosmere or Rhythmatis Two or Alcatraz Six. Are we up to six of that? I think six. Yes. The one, you know what? I don't even want to say it because spoilers. Yeah, I haven't read any of it, so. Uh, they're tough to find because they were originally, like, done by Scholastic for, like, the book fairs. Um, I, I know he's planning on releasing a number of things, like, on audio, or not audiobook, uh, like, on Kindle, but eventually. I was e- able to. E-books, e- e-books. I was able to interlibrary loan the uh, the Alcatraz books and uh, go go patronize your local library, folks. Like, but like that is <laughs> that is a heck of a resource. Go do it. Go go to go to your library. Shouldn't Tori be saying this part? She should. I, I'm busy beaming with pride over here. Just... <laughs> However, Tori is not a public librarian. Tori is a school librarian. No, I was a school librarian, oh. but I am now a public librarian. Really? I didn't. I didn't I'm know a you switched. Children's librarian. God, I'm... I story time. Okay. It's lit. 
But yeah, libraries are great places. You should totally go. Um, that's actually my primary source of, of like short stories that authors I uh, I like write and put out. They get like put out in these like collections, and I I don't care about any of the authors except the one. Oh right, yeah. So you know, I don't want to pay thirty bucks for a short story collection that I'm never going to read except for thirty pages of. Except you could try it out just to see if you might like these other authors you've never heard of. I have found some great authors doing that because I rather like short story collections. Well, point being, the best place to to get that sort of thing to try it out is your local library. at the library. And, you know, if you got kids, summer reading programs are freaking amazing. Yes. It's bribing them. It's bribing your children to be quiet for a few hours and leave you alone. And also we (laughs) give out prizes and we have special events and it's a big deal and we put a lot of work into it and you guys should come to the library and experience these things. Otherwise the work is a waste of our time. And apparently the way that public libraries interact with audiobooks is like super messed up and weird, but it helps if you check out audiobooks from the library somehow. Yes, that does help. Like it gives them a bigger audiobook budget in the future somehow. Yep. I'm I I read a few articles on this and came away more confused at the end than I was when I started, but somehow somehow if you get audiobooks from your library, it's good. Yes. Basically, any service that your library does, whether it's just the books that you're checking out or the ebooks that you're checking out, because libraries have ways you can check out ebooks and digital audiobooks. Like you can download an audiobook to your phone. A lot of libraries have that option. Any service your library offers, they are keeping track of how well it is used. Like so many numbers. Like we keep track of how often every single book in every single collection checks out. And if the book checks out a lot, then we buy more copies of it. If it never checks out, then we remove it from the shelf and from the library because we are not the keepers of the dead books. We are the library. We we keep the books that people want and the services that people want and They keep track of everything. So if your library has a subscription to, for example, Mango Languages, which is a wonderful database, kind of like Rosetta Stone, but it's free with your library card at some libraries. Wait, really? Uh, Yeah, look it up. See if your library has it. It's fantastic. That sounds cool. Um, What is it called? Mango, like the fruit, Mango Languages. Um, So look that up. So if your library has a... has a subscription to that and nobody uses it, they are tracking that and they will cancel their subscription and use that money for something else. Um, As, as an example, our library had a, a video game program. Like it was some kind of website where you could use your library card to log in and play video games. And we advertised the heck out of that. And we pushed it at all of the schools and we tried to let people know that it was there Nobody used it, so we don't have it anymore. It's gone now. So I have a question for you, actually. Okay. Does does your library do free, like, DVD rentals, well, borrowings, or is it pay- a paid service? Um, well, mine is free. We We have DVDs in the collection, just the same as we have books. 
We also have CDs. We have magazines. Um, so, so the reason I bring that up is um, my 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 mother in law, well, my wife's uh, family, like they would rent you know DVDs from their local library, Not rent and borrow. Sorry, yeah. I'm good. I, I'm sorry. I said rent, borrow uh, for free because that's what they they do, and yeah. that seemed to be like a Delaware thing because that's where they're based. Up here, they charge money for it. It was like two dollars. It's an actual, you know, rental. It's not even like a deposit to make sure it comes back okay. It was you have to pay this. So that's things. I mean, I guess it depends on your library, really. Um, yeah. That's not how it works up here in uh, in Wisconsin. Um, that's actually how I saw the movie Creed, uh, starring Michael B. Jordan. Uh, to bring that back around. So what it sounds like is that it this library system right here where I'm where I'm living, not even the whole state, it's just this area stinks in that regard. Right. So go visit your local library and patronize them unless you're Craig or you live where Craig does. No, no, no. Go off. visit. Just I'm not I'm just not going <laughs> to rent DVDs from them. Maybe use the library to check out books. <laughs> yes, exactly. No. The important part no, they do one thing kind of not okay, so never use them. Never. So, do we have anything more to talk about in relation to Elantris? Uh, no, but I was going to suggest that maybe Tori could have a regular librarian corner where she tells us cool stuff that the library does. Oh, yes, I'd love to do that. I'll totally do that. As long as I get a video game corner. You sound insincere. It, are... Do you actually want to talk about this stuff or or no? Because yes, I you actually want to talk to about if you don't if you don't want to. I'm sorry, I sounded sincere. No, I'm I'm being sincere. Okay. Yeah, she sounded sincere to me. Yes, we should absolutely have a library corner, and I don't know. I as far as video game corner goes, I was eh. kidding. I don't really mean that. Okay, well, I was. I could say, I could like, talk about science and technology and getting people into that because maybe we have some younger listeners who are really interested in like programming or sciences i don't know i I was gonna say as far as video games go like i don't feel like we need to touch on that i feel fairly up to date on the video games that i care about i.e they're all 20 years old you want want a news corner that's what you're looking you're looking for something that's newsworthy no no i'm really not no no i'm not talking about video games i'm just talking about information in general I just I found Tori's whole thing on this like really really interesting, and I want to know more. You know, Starship Trooper style. I see how it is. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for us today. Anybody else got yeah, anything? That's all I've got. Cool. For cool. stuff or Cosmere things. All right. So, well, yeah. thanks everybody for listening, and we'll try not to fail to do one next weekend. Yay! Good night, Internet. See ya. All right. Bye. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.